So, another episode of the podcast, but just a little bit of a warning before you listen to this one, um, is that it's a bit more of a personal one um, on how I see people's training during this COVID area and what I've been up to and the things that have been going on. So it's, it's not instructional and it's probably not as technical as some of the others. Um, and probably it's only of interest to people that know me personally. I wouldn't have thought it's very interesting to a lot of you. So I would say if you're after something technical or instructional and you don't know me personally, you probably don't want to listen to this. You probably don't want to waste your time because it's, it's really just geared towards those people that I know. Um, but if you want to listen to it, feel free. But I just don't want you to waste your time if you think you're going to learn something. So that's probably the, be- the worst way ever to advertise a podcast. But I'm just being honest. <laughs> so I've opened the f- this, this new set of um, episodes with this more personal piece about how I view things. But as of the next episode, which I'm now returning to the podcast, because uh, I enjoy doing it. So I'm going to put more of them up and they'll be on iTunes and YouTube as per usual or wherever they go. Um, after this, I'll return to something more technical and something that's more relevant to people that don't know me personally. So if you want something technical, wait for the next episode. I'll also have some guests, which I've been talking about doing for ages, but I will have some other people on that I think I'd like you to meet, some people I'd like you to meet um, that are very interesting. Um, So we'll get to that soon as well. So again, if you don't know me personally and you're not interested in my personal what I've been up to, then then I wouldn't bother listening. I really don't want to steal an hour of your time. <laughs> Thanks. I think it's been really interesting over the last year and a half, is it now? Two years or something of this um, period of time where obviously we've had lockdowns and COVID and, uh, you know, essentially our lives have stopped and businesses have collapsed and, you know, the whole world's been plunged into this very tricky very difficult uh, period of time where a lot of people have, have suffered greatly. Not just the people who, who may have passed away um, from from COVID, but I guess also the people that have suffered from lack of connection to people, lack of socialization, lack of finances, collapse of their business, um, as you know, all of this. And then, and then one other great stressor, that, which is just the, the psychological fear of, of not knowing what's, what's going obviously it's been a big uh, a big test a big challenge for for everybody so during this time um, because I guess I'm kind of blessed I'm, I'm kind of lucky compared to many um, these days that I could just disappear really and <laughs> that's what I've done so initially when when COVID started to hit and, and courses were cancelled I was very quick to end my events as soon as there was the the sound or the or the rumors of, of this sort of illness coming about that was making people sick. I was like, well, I don't want to gather anybody. So it was the first time ever really that I'd had to cancel anything in, in pretty much 15 years of teaching. I think maybe there was one other time, but pretty much the only time I canceled any 15 years of teaching, you know. And uh, initially I just retreated into kind of privacy in Portugal and then and then I did what I usually do during uh, difficult times or or even during times of change or during times when there's not much going on I suppose as well I came back to Asia which is where I am now and, and where I've spent a large proportion of my life you know my life has always been the same it's been periods of intense teaching and, and work in the West and then back to Asia to to study with with my teachers or to spend time alone so you know, I, I didn't do much in the way of podcasts or anything in a while. 
a fair while, maybe half a year or something like that, um, because I just wanted to, I guess, focus on two things. Firstly, focus on myself. I wanted to use the time to go very, very deep into my practice or as deep as I'm able, <laughs> my, my level, according to my level or whatever. Um, but also to focus very much upon the people that are already committed to studying with me. I don't like the term my students. I don't like it when people say my students because it implies a kind of ownership. They're not my students. They're just people that, that happen to study uh, with me and, and share my love of what I do, I guess. So those particular people that I have an, uh, a vested interest in, in studying with me, um, I wanted to focus on them to help them through this time. So any a lot of the material that I've put out publicly has been has been for those guys, uh, really, as much as anything. And I tried to maintain good interaction with people online during this time as well, with, with people within my school, you know. But I don't know, is it coming to an end now? I'm not sure. I mean, I see countries opening up, England is opening up, and some of the states in America are opening up and that, but I don't think it is. I don't think it is. I, I think that people are now moving into like a full sense of security um, with the world starting to open, but I, I can foresee it closing again. I, I just don't think that, uh, I don't think this period of time is done yet. I think we're about two thirds through, but I'm, I'm happy to be corrected and I'm happy to be wrong on this definitely. So what I wanted to do really was just kind of reflect on on the way that this period of time has affected people because oh, it's definitely impacted people and I'm not uh, I'm not particularly clued into or connected to the the wider <laughs> world very much um, I'm ashamed to say that I live in a kind of bubble I'm only really within the kind of community of um, I guess the school that I run and the people I know within that school which is quite a few people I guess these days it's quite a big school and uh, and the wider sort of alternative community and my local community, but I don't I don't really have a lot of contact with people that are outside of this circle, not not really, and outside of the subject of qigong or Taoism or meditation. Uh, so I've got a really weird view of the world. I, in my world, everybody does martial arts or qigong or yoga or meditation. I don't know anyone else who does who doesn't do these things. So you know, it's <laughs> I have a strange view of everything, I guess, and. Uh, even the towns that I'm in, I mean, here, here I'm in Ubud, Ubud in uh, Bali. And if you know Ubud, it's basically a, um, it's not much in the way of what I do. It's not much Qigong or it's not even much meditation here. Not really, little pockets of it. It's mostly yoga. Most people here are, are studying yoga, which I'm not actually directly involved in. Um, but still, they, they're people that have a practice of, of some sort here. Some of it's a little bit new agey for me. Um, I think there's a lot of, exploration that deviates very much from the classical principles but but that's up to them that's cool you know whatever people want to do um but it's not really my scene so really i've spent quite a lot of time here actually <laughs> sat here for the last half a year as much as anything just plonked on this this bit of wood on this cushion that's gradually rotting i should probably clean it actually it's not very hygienic it's starting to rot under the sweat of my <laughs> sitting practices um, but it's been good it's been good you know uh, and uh, I guess making the most of a of a bad time so bad time for the world anyway I think that like it's it's been really interesting seeing how people within these arts uh, reacted to it because I know that some people took advantage of this time um, a lot of martial artists a lot of Qigong practitioners a lot of meditators 
um, yoga practitioner as well, I guess, who were previously trying to balance their practice, their personal practice with their life, earning money and, and teaching and things like this. And, and then when that earning money and teaching was taken away and socialism was taken away, the ones that didn't have to struggle for finances, I guess, which is, you know, harsh for a lot of people, but those who didn't kind of simplified their life and, and stepped back and really focused upon their practice. If I think about my, my father, for example, he really simplified his life so that um, he didn't have to spend a lot of money. So life became very, very cheap and um, just really kind of like him and my mum started growing their own food very heavily so that expenses went right down and then my dad could focus very much on his practice and very interesting to see the leaps and bounds that he's made, not that I've seen him because <laughs> we're in different countries and not allowed to travel, but just speaking to him you know, about what he's done, like uh, quite incredible the leaps and bounds he's made. And I know lots of people have been like that that have really just used this time but then at the same time, I've known other practitioners that kind of, <laughs> it was very interesting. When suddenly confronted with loads of time, even though they didn't have stresses of life, they didn't have stresses of money, they didn't have stresses of needing to earn a living, so they just had lots of time, they actually couldn't maintain a practice. It was really interesting to see. So I know some practitioners who were doing like an hour a day practice, but then working and then saying, oh, I'd love to have more time for practice. And then life gave them more time of practice and then their practice didn't go up. And in some cases it went down and they dropped their practice. They just, and that's strange, isn't it? Like this phenomena that life gives you what you want, but actually it's not really what you want. <laughs> it's a, when now confronted with this time, you find that, so I know some people that have actually found that their passion for the arts, their motivation for it, is not what they thought it was. So a lot of people have, have quit during this time. It's like their passion was enough for them to do an hour a day of practice alongside their life. But then when their life was taken away, they tried to do more practice, but then discovered that the passion wasn't there and it kind of burnt out the flame and, and they were left with, with no practice and people have turned away from it. So that's an interesting one, isn't it? To suddenly find out that you don't have the drive for these arts that you, you thought you did. What a, sh what a shame. What a shame. I, I would have been horrified if I, <laughs> if I found that out. I'd have to rethink my my very existence, I suppose. Then I know other people who obviously had masses of difficulty. Maybe loved ones got sick or they need they were struggling for money or whatever and this period of time has been has been hellish, you know, and uh yeah. I I just hope that some kind of repair and peace can be found after this after this period of period of time, you know. Then I know other groups that just wasted this opportunity you know the love for the arts was there um they were given furlough i think that's what they called it in the uk money to to practice from their work so they had an income but just sat on the couch and watched netflix and <laughs> wasted all this time and that's really interesting because i think that always with any era of my life any period of my life any chapter i like to be able to look back at it and go well, I did something useful there. I progressed there. I wouldn't like to now sit down, look back at the last year and a half of the COVID era and go, oh yeah, I wasted that. Like I could have done something. Like if I'd have started this 18 months ago, I'd be 18 months into this study by now. What a waste. So I, I really hope not too many people look back at this 18 months of potential because that's really what it's been. If, if you're not struggling for money, if you're not struggling to, to survive and you've got all this time, that's 18 months of potential. And if you've wasted that potential, then that's, that's a shame. But on the other hand, if you're hearing this and that speaks to you in some way, then I don't think that potential time is gone just yet. I think there's going to be further lockdowns and, and stuff and 
whatever. So I don't think this time is over yet. Then you get the, uh, the anger. This is the other one, isn't it? This is the other thing that, that I've encountered is people are a lot more angry and uh, I get it, you know, like when things are stressful and pressured and you feel like your freedoms are being taken away, then, then things can make you very angry. But I've seen a real uh, split and divide in people and initially it began over things like, should we lock down? Should we not lock down? Should we wear masks? Should we not wear masks? Should we be vaccinated? I suppose this latest one, should we not be vaccinated? And, and the sheer anger and almost contempt for people from these two sides of the equation has been uh, um, has been very disheartening to see, I suppose, kind of worrying because we obviously all have different views. Um, but to dislike somebody or hate someone or be angered at them for their view is a very strange thing. I mean, when I announced that I would be um, cancelling my events or I wouldn't be teaching simply because, you know, of COVID, I mean, even... I mean, I didn't want to teach because I didn't want to bring internationally people together that were going to potentially make themselves sick. I didn't want to be responsible for the spread of something. But even aside from that, like just the sheer difficulties of all these people coming together, the legalities and the quarantine, it was just a nightmare. So I said, um, I don't wish to teach during this um, COVID era. I'm just going to put this light on because there's now there's bats flying around in here. If I don't put this light on, the bats <laughs> come and sit in here. Um, so yeah, I couldn't teach during this time, but when I said that I wouldn't teach during this COVID era, uh, COVID period of time, the amount of anger I faced was incredible from people I've known for a long time. And I actually had um, abusive messages from various uh, teachers in the field that didn't agree with me, that were very anti-vax and anti-government and saying it was all an evil plot by Bill Gates or, or whatever it is. And they were very angry with me. And some of my people, uh, who I was teaching, some of, the, some of the members of my school, they, they left on the spot out of annoyance. And I, I had um, Facebook messages from other teachers sort of writing on their walls about how contemptuous I was for being a coward during this time and <laughs> things like this. Like the level of abuse was, was kind, of, uh, kind of high. And it did confuse me because when I would speak to these people, um, and this is really the big thing for me, I would always ask like for evidence for anything now i and and what will happen when I say this is is normally people will now start sending me private messages with evidence evidence or they'll they'll write under this YouTube video with evidence, but none of it's evidence, not really I don't count um an article that you found on Facebook or you found online or whatever as evidence I don't count the stuff you've learned in a WhatsApp group or a Telegram group as evidence. I don't count that YouTube video that as evidence, or I, I really don't. I think that um, the problem then becomes like, what is evidence? And, and it is hard to know, you know, because the thing I decided during this period of time is that I don't know anything. <laughs> I just don't know anything. I'm not an expert on viruses. Um, I don't have a great deal of faith in the government, but I don't any of the governments, I think they're all out for themselves. But at the same time, I don't have this kind of definite certainty that there's some kind of conspiracy taking place. So what I decided was I just simply won't take a stance, I won't take a view, um, and I will simply sit back and wait out this period of time and see what happens. 
and many people were very very angry at that if you don't stand up for a view then then this you know you're part of the problem but how do you know you're standing up for the right view how do you know i mean i've got good friends that are adamant that this is a complete takeover i don't agree with half of what they say but then i've got friends that are adamant that this is a, a, a you know completely there's nothing scurrilous going on and and i don't agree with half of what they say either so it's um it's a tricky one but this difficulty is that there's a real lack of nuance in anything and people can't seem to have nuance so it's always black or white it's like this is because of this or this is because of this but there's no there's no middle ground there's no possibility that you might be half right and half wrong and that people on both sides of the equation might also have some kind of value to what they're what they're saying and this kind of the lack of ability to see nuance has passed into everything look at the the culture wars we have right now between everything from races and and genders and and people arguing over sexuality or, or political views or trump versus biden or whatever i don't know like it it's a constant battle between people that can't see nuance so generally what i try to do is if someone is presenting an argument or a point of view is i will listen and that's what i've noticed people don't do they don't listen they listen with an agenda they listen with the agenda of proving themselves right and that person wrong um, that's essentially what they do if it's someone from the opposite perceived opposite camp to them or if it's someone from the same camp then they'll just take everything in so say I've got someone whose view I agree with and I listen to them. That person doesn't even have to prove anything to me. I don't, I don't bother questioning anything they say. I just absorb all that information, whether it's true or not. It doesn't matter. It goes into my reality. And then if there's someone that I, is on the opposite camp to me, the opposite political agenda, the opposite, opposite belief on vaccinations, the opposite belief on whatever, then I will not really listen to what they say. I will just be ready to shout them down or confront them and... Uh, Consequently, you miss the fact that probably about half of what either of these people are saying could be correct. There's not one person that is 100% correct all the time and 100% wrong all of the time. And this, this is important because I see people that are, you know, I don't want to separate people into camps because then I'm part of the problem. But if people are cultivators, meditators, Qigong practitioners, yoga practitioners, internal people that are trying to get to the, the, the truth of, of the nature of things, because that's ultimately what it's about, the nature of self, the nature of being, the nature of existence or, or whatever. If you're trying to get to the truth of what something is, you have to be able to see nuance. You cannot be black and white. You cannot be reactively discriminatory. That's the problem. You cannot discriminate between a different view as a reaction. You can only discriminate between right and wrong once there has been... Um, analysis and development of insight into the, the the two sides of the argument so with regards to this someone who is very um, analytically trying to get to the truth of something what I find is it becomes very difficult to form a side it becomes very difficult so you become a little bit of a not a fence sitter because <laughs> a fence sitter is a little bit of a sort of beige place to be isn't it where you don't kind of have any views but it's more that what I tend to find is certainly during this period the more I've practiced the more I've practiced the more I've practiced the more I've gone inside the less strong a stand I can take to either the left or the right or the 
<laughs> the woke or the unwoke, as people call it these days, or the vax or the anti-vax or the lockdown or the anti-lockdown, I can't take a strong stance on it. Because the deeper and deeper and deeper I go into self-analysis, the more and more nuance and discernment naturally arises within me and the more analysis of the nature of something. So what you find is, whereas you previously had a very, very strong view on something, that strong view starts to break down because that strong view is often based upon a lack of nuance. And what you're often doing is you're, you're viewing that position either as an isolated entity devoid of causation, or you're viewing it as something that's even confirmatory or non-confirmatory to your own existing view. So therefore, your biases and your prejudices, prejudices are pulling you towards these views. So what has happened is when I talk to people on the left or the right, because that's been especially relevant lately, because I went to a dinner recently, a, a social dinner, because I do try to socialize, so I don't go completely insane. <laughs> so I go out for these evening dinners with some friends, and I went to a dinner where there were some very right-wing people um, with regards to their politics. And you could probably argue, I guess to a lot of people, they would appear quite bigoted in some of their views. And to them, what I appeared was in the conversations when they weren't shouting and ranting and raving, or when they listened to my views, they found that I was almost diametrically opposed to them on several things. But because I was diametrically opposed on those several things, they then believed I was diametrically opposed on everything because they weren't capable of seeing nuance that I didn't agree with their discriminatory views and I didn't agree with their bigoted views. But then some of the annoyances and gripes that they probably had with the way society was run or politics were run, I didn't disagree with. But they couldn't see that nuance because they'd already decided I was the enemy. I was too left-wing for them. But then... A few days before that, I'd been at a meal with some very left-wing people, what you would call left-wing, I suppose, and I'm using the stereotype, you know. So consequently, I agreed with some of what they said, but I didn't agree with other things. Um, I felt that it wasn't based in reality. So again, because I didn't agree with two or three of those things, they then assumed I didn't agree with anything. So I became the polar opposite, and they saw me as very right-wing they saw me as someone sitting politically on the other side so then even when they asked my opinions and I agreed on something they could no longer hear that because I was the 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 enemy so essentially by developing a greater awareness of nuance which is what I think I've done and, and not being so quick to pull towards a bias that's just confirmatory to where I want to where I think things are <laughs> rather than being seen as a fence sitter I became seen as kind of the opposition to both sides. This then happened, this was around politics, right? And it, but then I think to other conversations, this happened around COVID as well. So people that were very pro what the government was doing and government guidelines and CDC or whatever, and I don't know, Fauci and all that. I became, like to them, I became very almost like a conspiracy theorist in my views, which I'm really definitely not but to them I was like comparatively to them I was because I questioned certain things whereas to people I've had conversations with people that you know believe that there's a microchip being inserted into you and you're all going to be dead in a couple of months time anyway from the vaccines or what have you and when I was talking to them I appeared like a sort of government conformist and I got called a sheep they actually called me a sheep at one time now I thought isn't that interesting that that I seem to have got to this position where um, I am the enemy of everybody, 
<laughs> of every view. And, and even though I stayed very calm, some of the others did get quite annoyed. But what I realized was it's simply because you cannot take a very strong self-identification stance if you're actually looking to understand the nature of something. So it's just another reflection of identities breaking down, identities with an idea, identities with a political stance, identity with, with whatever. They start to break down until you get to a point when you simply question and look for the nuance and the truth within any concept. And, and obviously the truth within any concept is, is very, very complicated. Now this is something that's very important to me because I don't, I mean, I don't think that a strong sense of identification, I've long thought this, I've long told people this, like it's not natural for a cultivator or someone who's seeking to understand the nature of things to have a very strong sense of identification with a view. Now that doesn't mean you're just some <laughs> sort of beige cloud that isn't able to, to express an opinion or something, but what I mean is you don't become one of the, you don't join one of the sides, or one of the teams. Now we can't deny, or maybe we could, but I think it's difficult to deny, that in modern society, the way the world is going, there are more and more camps being formed, sides, this side, that side, the enemy, the left, the right, the woke, the unwoke, the social justice, the, what's the opposite of that? I don't know what the opposite of that is, you know, but the, these kind of sides everybody is forming and it's becoming very confrontational, very sort of people are drawing up battle lines all over the place within our society, especially on the internet, but also it, it's spreading out everywhere into, in, on a worrying scale. Now, the main reason for this is I think people's sense of self-identification is becoming stronger and stronger and stronger and stronger. The more they lose uh, a sense of connection to self, uh, uh, to, shouldn't self is a funny word, but you know what I mean, a sort of connection to center, I should say, and they're losing an ability to look for the nuance in something and to think for themselves and to kind of look for the truth behind something. So instead what we have is a kind of emotional reactivity that is pulling people towards poles, towards camps, so that this kind of tribalism starts to arise. And once you join a tribe, you already kind of know what the majority of your views are going to be. So if I meet someone and I can identify, oh right, you're in that group of people, I know what your views are. I know exactly what I could say to get you to agree with me. I know exactly what I could say to get you to disagree with me because you're already programmed. You're, your identification is already based on the position, the stance you've taken because you're no longer questioning anything you're being told if it's from that camp. And you're incapable of hearing the truth from the other side because they're the other tribe, the enemy, the, the opposite view, the opposition. For a cultivator, this is a massive problem. This is a massive problem because if you have a large degree of identification with a pole, then you are losing connection to any ability to perceive the truth behind something, or this is how I see it anyway. But maybe I'm just in the opposite camp, so who knows. So why I'm talking about this is because one of the things I saw during this COVID period, or one thing that, that's been very clear, is just how many people in my personal world, my personal community, you know, that's not just people I know personally and intimately, but also people that I see on social media. I mean, I know loads of people that I've never met. I don't know if I know them, you know what I mean? But I'm connected to loads of people I've never met in America and Europe and Australia and Asia. But I just see them on the internet and, and I know what they do. And sometimes I'm a great appreciator of their arts. 
um, you know, and so I'm kind of connected to some great white crane in London. I've never met the guy, but I love what they do. Um, and there's a, there's a great uh, Shui Zhao, Chinese wrestling um, practitioner in California whose work I like, you know. And, and so I, I see them and I kind of watch what they do. And I'm not talking about these guys. Actually, neither of these guys have seen these really strong views from. But you know what I mean? Like, you, you kind of, you get to know these people. So the, the community becomes bigger. Now, from many of the people that I'm seeing, from their posts on social media, I'm seeing these really strong identifications arising, you know. And I don't mean the, the White Crane Group in London or the Californian Shui Zhao guy. <laughs> I don't mean to connect them. That's just using them as an example of people that I see and I kind of watch their work, you know. But... Uh, these poles are forming, these poles are forming. And it's kind of worrying because to me, this should be the, and maybe my views are wrong. It's highly possible. I'm a bit of an idiot. But within this field, the field of self-development, a field of cultivation, to me, within this community, this should be the least likely community to form very, very strong identifications, very, very strong poles of identity from which you view everything because that lens that you put over the top of the thing stops you from seeing nuance and stops you from seeing truth. So again, rather than a group of fence sitters, what you should see is a group of people that are able to analyze, not identify, not take on board a particular stance and look at the honest nature of anything that, that's taking place. And, and I don't see that. I don't, I don't see that. But people would disagree because People in one of those strong camps, if you take the vax versus anti-vax or whatever, I don't know, it doesn't really matter, does it? They would say that they have the absolute evidence <laughs> that they are correct and they have analysed everything, but I don't think they have. I think that their view is formed from a lot of reactivity because my, my take on this time at the moment is that we just don't know. There's too much information either way. It's too easy to receive evidence either way. There's too easy to receive disproof of the arguments either way um, obviously there's corruption but then maybe there's help like who knows you know it's such a complicated time so what I did during this time was just try to step back and to go inside and, and kind of wait and see what happens a little bit and, and kind of let the world develop and, and focus on inner development you know because ultimately whatever happens all you have is your connection to your own <laughs> sense of being. On the positives during this period of time with regards to the wider community of uh, practitioners, I've seen, uh, you know, I, I've connected with a great deal more people because, of course, a lot of the training has, has moved on online, which was not something I was amazingly comfortable at, at first with. And I actually had an online asset to my school that was developed right before uh, covid happened it wasn't done for covid but i was already moving towards a, a way of teaching online originally to support the people i was teaching in person so that they had some things to practice and, and some connection with um, instruction between their their courses workshops and classes that they did with me but it just so happened that covid came and then i had all this extra time so my online platform just kind of exploded and with inf lots of information i was just filming lots of things and putting it out there and, and I met a lot more people or I haven't met them have I I've connected with a lot more people and that's been really nice there's been some really lovely um, people that I have chatted with who've, who've joined in and really nice watching them learn the material even if it's just online and, and it'd be really cool when I get to meet some of them in person there's a great guy in um, Hong Kong who makes swords I'm really cu curious to go 
look at his sword making, for example. And, and there's um, a couple of guys in America who do a, a, a therapy that I'd never heard of, I want to go see, and stuff like this, just to see what they do. And, and that's really interesting for me to kind of make contact with these people that I never would have probably met in any, any other way. So that's been cool, you know. So there has been positives from COVID, I think, from this, not from COVID, I shouldn't say that, should I? People have died and what have you. But from this period of time, there's been some positives with all these sort of groups coming together. But I do hope that, you know, if things go back to normal or whatever, you know, when some kind of normality, whenever I say that, people get angry. Normality, what do you mean normality? We'll be carrying vaccine passports and all right, okay, let's not use the word normality before you get annoyed. But when we go back to a stage where people can meet up and move around a little bit, hopefully that's not inflammatory to say to some people, then, um, uh, you know, I hope people don't overly rely on online. I hope people do meet up again because I don't want <laughs> this period of time to have made people really insular, you know, really sort of um, uh, solitary. It'd be cool if they all started meeting up again. The, the convenience of online stuff is good, but it, it's not the same as, as interaction, is it? Definitely not. I think that uh, that's been positive. But then another negative, I suppose, is the, the anger. I mean, uh, I, I'm not, I, I don't want to, it sounds like I'm moaning if I talk about this, but I'm really not moaning actually, um, because I don't, I don't mind. I think it's just part of life these days that if you're in the public arena, uh, which I, on a really small scale, I am. I mean, I'm, it's like such a niche community. It's Qigong and, and it's hardly, it's hardly big scale, but I, I'm a little bit, let's say I'm a little bit in the public arena online you know and uh, I guess because I wrote books and uh, I have a YouTube channel and stuff like that and people uh, some people know who I am the part of that is you're always going to get abuse you're always going to get um, I guess hate mail um, that happens and we used to get some you know and the hate mail will be a combination of people that just really are unhappy with their lives so they have to lash out at someone through to someone who's disgruntled um, for whatever reason, through the people that are jealous or bitter, and then sometimes people that have a, a valid gripe with you. Let's not pretend that doesn't exist, you know. Um, that's definitely true. So you'd always get a few, you know, you get a few, and, and I do look at them. Well, actually, I don't. The admin um, <laughs> staff look at them. So most of the hate mail that comes in, you're just abusing the admin staff. But, <laughs> but some of them I, I look at and sometimes it's valid, you know, so sometimes people don't write in the best way. They'll be like, you are a fucking blah, blah. And then they, they'll abuse you and then they'll say why. And sometimes you're, in, you're like, yeah, OK, that was a, that was unfair, that thing I did. So what I try to do is I try not to react to the insults because I just think that's an unfortunate way of communicating with someone. But then I will try to think, OK, yeah, I'll take that on board and, th and then I'll take myself away and try to analyse that and go, all right, yeah, that, that could change. That is a bit of a dickhead type behavior that does happen but that's not it's not the majority of the hate mail the majority of the hate mail is just very bitter but that has increased during this period of time during this covid era when we're on we're on lockdown definitely there's been a lot more of it now i've not been amazingly more in the public eye than i used to be so therefore i just think a lot more people are very unhappy and very angry because if you're very happy with yourself or you're very comfortable, you don't write hate mail. I mean, at no point have I ever watched a video. I can honestly say this. I have never watched a YouTube video of someone doing Qigong or Tai Chi and thought, do you know what? 
I'm going to say how much I hate them underneath. That, that's never happened. There's been plenty of YouTube videos that I watch that I go, no, that's not for me. I don't really like what that guy's doing. But that's not my business, so I don't, I don't comment. I, sometimes I've left positive things. I mean, oh, I really like that. That's cool. But I, I've never left a negative. I've never left a negative review on Amazon. Um, I've never left a negative review on TripAdvisor. I don't even complain in restaurants if I don't like the food. That's just not the nature. That's just not my nature. Um, so no matter what's going on, because I'm quite content in myself, if something is negative, I'm like, oh, well, that's, you know, that's a pain, isn't it? I've been given a bad meal in this restaurant, but uh, what, who cares? Do you know what I mean? It's all right. It's gonna. right. I'm going to be here half an hour, then I'm going to move on with my life, so it doesn't matter. So I'm not going to make somebody else's day bad, or I've been in a hotel that wasn't very good. I'm not going to... Like, it doesn't matter. I'm only going to be there a night, then I'll move on. Like, I don't feel vindicated in some way if I lash out with a negative comment. I never have, because I'm quite content in myself, and my surroundings are independent to me, really. They don't really impact upon me particularly. If something causes me mild physical discomfort, it's not the end of the world, you know. So, you know, I think that the more unhappy someone is, the more likely they are to leave something very abusive. And I always try to keep that in mind whilst I'm looking at these kind of writings, because I just kind of remember, oh, that person's not very happy, and that's not actually very nice that they're feeling that way, uh, and it's a lot worse for them. I'm I'm sure, because they must be disgruntled with their existence. And as long as I remember that, then it's okay to deal with. But during the, the COVID era, has been a, a lot more. And I've learned from it. I'll tell you what I've learned from it. I've learned that when I read something about someone, not to believe it. <laughs> That's what I've learned. And the reason I think that is because previously I might have read something about another teacher or read something about a person in the limelight and gone, oh, that's not very nice of them, is it? That scandal or that thing. But then because I've now seen things written about me that aren't true, even slightly, and I know they're not true. Like, I know they're not true because I know my life. So because I know they're not true, therefore that suggests to me that the things written about other people aren't true. So actually the the lies or the slander that I received during this era actually became quite a lesson because they showed me that actually some of the things, the negative things I heard about other people might not be true either, probably aren't. They're probably based just in as much untruth as the things said about me. So if I give you some examples, there was a, I guess it was like a cancel culture thing that happened like a couple of months ago where somebody decided I was racist and sexist misogynistic i think was the word um and i won't say who that person was because it doesn't really matter and actually it's no one i've even met you know but they they not only decided i was that um which might have come from my my slightly un-pc sense of humor sometimes it might be my fault because i'm definitely not racist or sexist but i do have a um a slightly non-politically correct sense of humor sometimes and uh so maybe it's my fault but they they not only decided I was, but they wrote everywhere that I was, and then they started private messaging as many people as they possibly can to tell everybody that I was a racist misogynist, um, which the 50% of my school are women. It's about even male and female, and I, I really don't think the women would... Uh, well, I, I asked, actually. So when I heard that I was a misogynist, the first thing I did was like, all right. So I, I messaged uh, quite a few of the women in my school that I know quite well and said, I'm like, please tell me if I ever come across this way. And, and the, the feedback was resoundingly no. They were actually very happy um, at the lack of sexism that they faced in, say, in this school compared to some other places they'd been. So that was nice. I, I checked that. 
um, and the racism thing was really uh, was really unfounded. It was not true at all. But the, but what I'm getting at was what was funny was instead of just saying he's a racist, misogynist, or right, oh, okay, fine, just say it, no problem, was they then made up stories. So the story was that I ran a course in um, Europe and uh, black people and Indian people and Asian people, I, I assume, because um, it was people that, that weren't white, were leaving the course in disgust at the racism that they faced. That's not true. That's literally never happened. So that story that has now been spread amongst the community is simply not true. Like, it's not true at all. So if I contact the Indian students I have or, or the Asian students or, or the black students, they, they're still here. <laughs> and no, they've never faced anything like of that sort. And the story was that I frequented, um, obviously the me or some of my students frequented racist bars that's not true either. I don't even know, where would you find a racist bar? Like, where's a racist bar? Is that like in the middle of <laughs> the depths of the countryside in some obscure part of England or America? Like, where, what? I don't know. I don't know what these racist bars are, but that's not true either. So the very fact that I heard this story um, about me that wasn't true was very interesting to see because I have some things that are wrong with me. I'm a little bit grumpy sometimes and... Uh, I can get distracted easily and I can be lazy if, I'm, if I give myself the opportunity. So I have to be very disciplined with myself. Um, but I'm not, uh, I'm not prejudiced against people because of their color or their gender or their sexuality or anything like that. Definitely not. I mean, what I, if I judge is the wrong word, I suppose, but if I were to judge someone, it would be upon their behavior and their, their, their ethics and the way that they interact with others. That would be what I would look for to understand someone, not color of their skin or or their gender or something that's ridiculous so that was that and then the next story that came out was really interesting and I'm, I'm just telling I'm not telling you these to to moan I guess this is just a bit of a personal piece for the podcast compared to some of the other ones that are a bit more in, instructional um, because I'm going to return to the podcast now I'm going to go back to it because I want to come out of my sort of retreat mindset a little bit and produce some more so I'm going to do some podcasts um, on some topics like I used to on Chinese medicine and Neigong and martial arts and actually get some uh, guests now because there's some people around here I know I'd like to introduce you to on the podcast, some healers and practitioners and, and what have you. But I thought I'd open it with a bit of a personal piece and just tell you what's been going on. But then the second big scandal, I suppose, that hit was that um, I will name this person, actually. I will name this person because I think it's a little unfair, but I'm not angry at them because clearly they've got some kind of something that's making them unhappy but a guy named Adam Michael Perry actually the other week I do know where the gripe comes from actually told some lies about me that were a little bit unpleasant um, because essentially one of my friends one of my friends his brother committed a crime okay not me not my friend my friend's brother now, that crime was committed while my friend, okay, so his brother committed a crime while they weren't even in the same country. They weren't even in the same vicinity, the same place, right? So the brother committed a crime uh, uh, in 2007, 2008. So my friend didn't commit the crime, his brother did. That, that's really, really important. Oh, we've got light, look at that. So now what happened is the story is they've attributed the crime to my friend which is nonsense because you're not 
responsible for the crimes of your family members or the actions of your families. I have several members of my family that have committed crimes or, or done things that are wrong, but I, I'm not responsible for them. I think I've got two murderers in my family somewhere, maybe a generation or two back, two generations back, I don't know. But I don't feel responsible for the murders. Uh, they committed. I don't feel particularly murderous myself, so that's a bit weird to attribute the family members' um, crime to that person. But then on top of that, they attributed the crime not only to the brother, but also now to me as well. So the story goes that in 2008, there's a chance that I assisted my friend's brother in the crime, which is complete fabrication because I didn't even meet my friend until 2015. So the crime occurred seven years before I even met the person whose brother committed the crime. So it's not only a tenuous connection, it's a complete fabrication. So they, they told this story and then it got more ludicrous. And then uh, when I emailed to say, why are you saying this? Because I found out because I started receiving messages. I woke up to like loads of private messages on social media saying you're a bad person, Damo, how dare you do this? And I'm thinking, what did I do? And then eventually somebody screenshotted me the, the story from this Facebook group. And I'm like, that's horrendous. You've accused me of that. How dare you? So I messaged him saying, you know, this isn't true. I didn't get a response. Instead, what happened was he then told another story about something I'd done, which was screenshotted to me, which also wasn't true. And I didn't bother messaging about this because he clearly wasn't going to respond. But he now says that I contacted him essentially and and showed, uh, did he say I asked him to, I uh, showed interest in kind of engulfing his school into Lotus Nagong and making his school, which is called Bayuan Dao, I think, or something like that. It's just a little nothing. It's just like three guys in cosplay on Rhode Island in America. It's nothing, it's a tiny little thing. But they asked if, he's saying that I wanted to incorporate into Lotus Nagong, make it a Lotus Nagong thing, which isn't true. It's not true. What actually happened was he contacted me and asked me to, he said, if I was ever in his area, would I like to either teach at his place or visit? And, and I took one look and I was like, no, I don't. I get so many of these invites. Can you come teach at my center? Can you come teach at my center? I get loads. And the answer is no, because I'm, I'm really busy and I value my time and, and I, I don't have time to do it. But I don't ever want to be rude. So I'm like, well, it's bad of me. But I kind of say, sure, if I get time, I'll come. But I don't want to. And I never want to. And I've never tried to incorporate anyone else's school into Lotus Nagong. My school doesn't work like that. It's not a franchise. I didn't even mean to create an organization. I just teach. But then some of the people I taught after many years studying with me also wanted to teach. And then the school spread. But I've never swallowed someone else into what I do because I'm not a franchise like that. I don't agree with that way of being. And then he said that uh, he had spoken to me on the telephone. He's never spoken to me on the telephone. He's never spoken to me on the telephone. What actually happened, as far as I remember, because it was several years ago, was he contacted me saying he had no money and he wanted to read one of my books. So I was like, oh, okay, so I had a bit of money at the time because my finances go up and down because I'm pretty chaotic. So I ordered him a book and sent it to him. I just ordered it. So I paid for a copy of my book and sent it to him. Um, that was it. That's all. I didn't hear of it for years. And then several years later, I find out that he's actually running a Facebook group that's, that gives people pirated versions of my books. And I was like, oh, well, that's not very good. Pirated version. That's illegal. Pirated versions of this book that I spent hours and hours on. And I wasn't really majorly fussed about it. But I went on there and I wrote, look, I'd rather you didn't have my books on here. I don't like it. I'm sure many of the other authors wouldn't. I also said that Singing Dragon, the publishing house, wouldn't like it either. 
um, to which I got kicked off the group. So no big deal, like it's right, it, I didn't even think about it again. And then the next thing I know, I'm being accused of, of this crime from this guy who's saying that I wanted to swallow his school or make it uh, linked to mine, which is not. I mean, for a start, I have standards. My standards are quite high. And, I, and what people do is their own, but this is a kind of like nothing. It's like, it's nothing. It's someone in a little made up tradition with no real background to what, it's just an amateur guy, like living his life and, and trying to make a living, but I certainly don't want to be linked to it. So this kind of thing unfolded. So the reason I'm telling you is because, is because this is really what I've seen during COVID because that's just, you know, it's nothing, but it's, during COVID, what I see is this increase in kind of abuse or untruths or kind of imagined hurts or imagined slights that, that people have. And it, it's, it's amazing how prevalent it is in the Qigong community and in the Tai Chi community and, and things like this. And it, and it might be based on misunderstanding, but I think often it's just based on pure anger, pure stress at the world situation. And because you're maybe you've got less money or you're struggling or whatever that you have to kind of lash out at people and and you shouldn't because ultimately that's the kind of nature of the nature of cultivation and the nature of our arts is that during difficult times it becomes a for want of a better term a kind of raft that you cling to a raft that you sit upon a raft that you ride you know, through these turbulent waters this time, rather than allowing these times to kind of distort you and taint you and, and make you angry, unethical. I mean, I get a little bit of this, but my friend Adam Meisner, who I'm sure many of you listening to this will, will know, gets a ton of it. Like, I could never complain at the hate mail I get compared to my friend Adam. Um, and it's, I mean, the, the majority of the stuff people throw at him is just uh, horrendous I, I look and I think oh my god like hope he doesn't read all this this nonsense I don't think he does because he's not really someone who's bothered by such things but it's just horrendous and and it's all born the majority of it is just born from jealousy I'm sure some I'm sure some people it's born from a kind of indignation at the fact that he does something very different from them something that they perceive to be very woo but the vast majority of it is just born from pure jealousy pure jealousy as plain and simple as that and and when I watch the abuse they give him from this kind of position of jealousy because they perceive, I mean, he is better than them at Tai Chi. That, that's true. Like it, all these people giving him abuse. I'll give you a little fact here. He's better than you at Tai Chi. I'm really sorry. It's just a fact. <laughs> so because they, so I saw some of them are, are coming from a place of indignation because it's different, but a lot of them are jealous because they perceive his skill at Tai Chi or, or his perceived financial success because he travels a lot and size of his courses. And, you know, that kind of jealousy is, is sad and it's a shame that it exists in this community, isn't it? Because essentially what would be wonderful is if we all elevated each other for each other's achievements so when I look at my friend Adam and I look at when he achieves something, I'm like, well, good for you, like, fucking A, like, you know, and we know each other personally. So when he sends me a message and says, you know, 
I've made this step up in my practice. I'm like, well, that's cool. Good for you. And the same with, with him to me. Like, he knows what my training is. He knows what my practice is. And when I, when I achieve something, he's, he's very, very supportive. And that's really nice. And I have lots of other friends of mine that are like that, are really supportive of achievements. And this network of people that support each other is brilliant because we support, not only do we support each other, but we kind of push each other to greater heights because there's a, there's a network there. And, and all right, maybe we should be beyond the ego of <laughs> receiving encouragement from others, but none of us are enlightened. So of course, that's still a factor there. So that's cool. But this is the problem is that the internal arts community, the martial arts community, the cultivation community is not currently in a place where people are enjoying each other's achievements and look what you've done and look at that's cool and propping each other up instead it's competitiveness and jealousy and bringing each other around sniping at people and forming these sides once again and i think that this era of difficulty has made things much worse it's amplified it so i'd like to finish this i guess by taking this opportunity to say that i don't have bef this is this is personal for me that before I came into this retreat, which was, you know, what well, I don't even know when it is. Is it a year and a half since this all started? Two years. I got no idea. Time's weird, doesn't it? Could be two years, could be ten years, I got no idea. But before I came into the retreat, I did have I did have some resentments and anger towards some people in my life. And I had some resentments and some anger towards people I'd argued with. I had resentments and anger towards people in the, the community that did things differently to me. Not not lots i wasn't a, a a ball of rage but it, there there was those little things like we all we all have but i can say during this period of kind of exploring nuance and moving away from identifications and poles and sides that that's faded so i don't have anything against anybody and i don't mind i'm not even annoyed at the people like this Michael Perry character is annoyed with me because even though the things he's saying aren't true and they're actually potentially damaging because of the, the contact I've had from people asking about it, it's not very nice. But at the same time, I've had a massive support from people as well. But, but at the same time, I don't mind because I know that he's troubled in some way. Something is, is difficult for him. Something is unpleasant in his life. So I just hope that gets resolved um, in some way. I really do. But it's the same for many of the others. I don't mind. Like, it's okay. We all struggle and we all do stupid things when we're, we're angry and we're, we're upset. Um, and it's really funny because the more I do this, like, and the less poles I form into and the less sides I take, the more I can see everybody's viewpoint. So I can even see the viewpoint of some of the people that criticize me, <laughs> even though I don't necessarily think it's that deserved. Some of the critique, some of the critique, I've read it back and I'm like, well... I'm not going to change what I do, but I can see where you're coming from, you know. I can see why you view it that way. And I can see it because I can understand in myself that at different times I've been in that camp. I've been off that mindset. And when I was off that mindset, I would have had that view. And that's not even to say I won't go back to that standpoint. Like we fluctuate, we swing from pole to pole. Um, but what I'm not prepared to do is make a consolidated stance or position that's going to become a form of my identity that's going to last for a long period of time because I wish to remain organic and flexible and fluid in in what I do that's that's my aim and I don't I don't wish to anchor myself to any one particular position so 
<laughs> rather than getting to know myself more during this period of time, I guess I've got to know myself less and I'm quite happy with that. I'm quite happy with that. So I'm more content with not knowing exactly where I stand on anything because I think it's more natural for me and I, and I hope some others can come to similar conclusions. But if they don't, that's okay. I wish you all the best.